What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today with Linda Schaefer. Linda is Chief People and Operations Officer at Checker. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bethany. Nice to meet you and so happy to be here. So happy to have you here. And Linda, as we get started, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Will you talk to them a bit about where you're from, the path that you've walked, and your decision to join Checker? Yeah, 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 no problem. Well, I grew up in New England and made my way out to California in my early 20s, as many people do, looking for adventure and have never looked back, have been out here in the Bay Area ever since. And I would say my career has never been really a straight line. I've worked in a lot of different industries in a lot of different kinds of roles. And for me, that has what has been just like so interesting to me about, I guess, about working is just a chance to work in a lot of a different context. So I started out early in my career in the energy industry. I was designing high efficiency lighting systems for schools and hospitals based on some of my early interests coming out of college. And I did that for some time and decided I wanted to try something different. And I actually went back and got my business degree, my MBA, and came out of there to my first Silicon Valley startup. And it was sort of my first taste of learning how fun it can be to join a small company and be part of the team that grows that company into something just like very new that never existed before. So my first journey in startup land was at a company that was in the mobile industry. We were trying to measure which company was winning or losing. So at the time, there were all kinds of like Verizon and T-Mobile and Sprint and 15 other companies that were trying to win the market. And we developed basically technology to measure that industry. We always said, we're going to be the Nielsen of the wireless industry. And then, you know, eight years later, Nielsen saw that too, and they acquired us. So that was just a fantastic journey of living through like a whole life cycle of a startup through acquisition. I was there for about 10 years and I decided it was time to try it again. I just really enjoyed the process so much. And I went to another startup back to, you know, 10 people also in a new industry for me in advertising technology and kind of went through that process again. Wasn't quite as successful as the first one. We got to about 20 people and then the Yellow Pages thought that was an interesting acquisition, got acquired through the Yellow Pages and then decided to try it again, which brought me here to Checker. And Checker is a background check company. We really disrupted the whole hiring process and have become, I would say, just like a really critical part of many gig economy companies who are trying to hire millions of people in a very short time frame. 
And, and we help them do that quickly, accurately, and with a high degree of fairness. So it's been interesting, a lot of different kinds of companies. I should say my roles have also varied. I've been in product management and operations. Now my role includes HR and legal. And I think some of the ways that I've been able to you know, span across those many different functions, I think, have had to do with being flexible, being a strong generalist, and just being curious about new areas and willing to take risk in my career. Mm-hmm. Linda, thank you so much. And there's a lot in there that I wanted to unpack. One of the pieces of your career that struck me as I was preparing for our conversation was how you have really been able to dig in with these various companies. Mm-hmm. You were at Telefia, which was then acquired by Nielsen, for, I think you said for about 10 years. And then, you know, about four years at Sense and Yellow Pages mm-hmm. together. It's been six years at Checker. And this stood out to me because the tech industry now has this average tenure of 18 months. Yeah. And it's actually really hard, I think, to add a significant amount of value in 18 months. And there's something so rewarding about committing and just diving in and really building over the long term. And I think many people actually sacrifice that in jumping from thing to thing pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to share why you stay. Why do you dig in like that? Yeah, I think some of it is I've always found a lot to learn everywhere that I've been. And for me, like that just would never be enough time to understand what I wanted to learn. And I think that, you know, you mentioned like tech industry tenure being 18 months, like that's when you're just really getting a handle on like what's going on around you. And then you go somewhere else, I think. And I think people do that thinking that that other place is going to be like better than, because also by 18 months, you've also uncovered the warts of like the things that you don't like about where you work or the problems. But I think many people find then, but once they jump that it is really like the grass looks greener, but companies everywhere have a lot of the same problems. And maybe that is one thing also why I've stayed put is that I've been enough places that I can see that that companies a lot of times face the same kinds of problems. And you're not like escaping those, like you just, you have to solve them where, you know, and, and I'd rather do that somewhere where I feel like the company's giving back to me too. And I feel like the other thing that has really kept me places is that I think the opportunity to learn new areas, to not be just pigeonholed into one type of role has been has been fun. So that's also kept me in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to that last point, you talked about the opportunity to move around. You also have some really distinctive strengths that made that possible. You, you mentioned your yeah. flexibility. You mentioned being a strong generalist. And it reminded me yeah. of that book, range, which is is really about having pride in the fact that you can do lots of different things. What is it about being a strong generalist that appealed to you? You know, like, because I do sometimes think that we overemphasize depth to the exclusion of actually building a skill set in lots of different areas. Yeah, yeah. I think I've always felt like both sides of my brain really want to be active. (laughs) And, you know, I studied engineering as a college student, and I've always been good at math. And I've always enjoyed technical sides of things. But then I also like, I love reading, I love writing, Mm -hmm. like, 
And so I think the combination is like, I want to, I feel happiest and most fulfilled when I have an opportunity to exercise, you know, all of those different kinds of skills. And then I think because that is what makes me happy, I have like thrived in situations where I'm able to Mm -hmm. use all of those different skills. And for me, what I have found is that that many leadership roles often require that varied range of abilities. It's pretty rare in any leadership role, even as like the CTO of a tech company or a VP of engineering, like those roles do require technical skills, but then they also require a lot of other things like communication and people skills and all these. So I think maybe that is also the combination, you know, ended up being good also for my own like sort of promotion track in my career. Mm-hmm. I really love hearing about that because it's kind of a myth buster, you know, <laughs> like that yeah. engineers can't necessarily also be great communicators or great people yeah. leaders. You know, we hear that a lot, like even just yeah. that term engineered, you know, just the connotation that folks who have those strengths and skills yeah. wouldn't also or couldn't also be excellent people leaders. And you've thought a lot about this in your career. And one of the things that you mentioned when we were getting ready for the conversation was just how important communications is in general as a discipline and as a strength, especially for a leader, and also how underrated it is. Yeah, And I sort of think like for our engineers and people who are really interested and fast out with data, all of that is very measurable. And sometimes we can't measure communications as easily, but boy, that's how we inspire. That's how we motivate. That's how we connect with how people feel about walking in the door every day. Will you talk to us a little bit about your thoughts around communications and how you sort of arrived at this viewpoint that it's, it's sort of the unsung hero of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I've been just talking so much about this lately. And I think I mentioned to you, like it is, the number one thing I feel like I talk to my team about my managers Mm -hmm. around how are you communicating that? And do people understand what you're trying to say? And I just, I do think it is so, so important. And I think it's the kind of thing that everybody knows what good communications looks like, you know, intuitively, we know when we hear a speaker that sounds like they're reading, even if they're reading it very eloquently, something in our brain does not like that. And it turns us off and we're like, oh, they're going to read their presentation like this is going to be boring. So we all know what good is, but then it's really hard to actually be good at communications because it, mm-hmm. I think what people underestimate is good communicators spend a lot of time preparing to be good communicators mm-hmm. and writing something that is short and clear usually takes three times as long as something that is long that has all the details in it. So it just, it requires an investment of time and energy to be really good at it. And I think it is also the thing that I think can really separate kind of good from great in anything, in anything you're doing, even as an engineer, a great engineer, you know, can distinguish themselves from one that is like exceptional if they can also, you know, really communicate clearly and well. And that could be in the Mm -hmm. kind of code that they write, like Mm -hmm. clean and elegant and concise. So yeah, I just, I think it's a really underrated skill. I think especially being at a Silicon Valley startup, being in tech, 
you know, I think I said this to you earlier, like engineers are put a bit on a pedestal and yeah, just really overlooks, I think just a really important element of human connection that is such an important part of our work Mm -hmm. every day. Yeah, it, it really is. Actually, one of my teammates today, I was having a conversation with her and she said, can you help me understand how to influence And I was unpacking it with her a little bit and realized that what she was really looking for is skill building around being direct. And I think that in particular, that can be hard for women because we're not actually supposed to necessarily like go straight at something or speak an uncomfortable truth or, you know, like put someone in their place. I was talking about it with her and saying, it's actually such a relief for everyone in the room to just say what needs to be said. And, you know, if something feels hard and everyone sitting around that table knows it's hard, if you ignore it, it doesn't mean that goes away. It actually just gets worse. (laughs) So why not just like get right in there and speak your truth? Yeah. And I think, I do think women in particular, we learn that our culture expects us not to be direct Mm -hmm. and to soften feedback or to caveat it. And I do think that there is something to be said for just being direct. It's not always comfortable. Even, you know, that's something I'm still working on. I still get that feedback from Mm -hmm. my CEO, like, Linda, you got to be more direct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, want to yes. work on that. I think the other thing about feedback or about communications that I have learned that I I never appreciated was, or like earlier in my career was like when going into a difficult conversation, like really trying to think about what is the other person, where is the other person coming from, why are they reacting a certain way, why do they think this is important. Mm. So that I can empathize with it. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes the way people are coming across as like maybe someone's coming across as like a bully or they're coming across as really aggressive. But what's really underneath that is like fear or mm-hmm. like they don't want to fail or there's like, and if you can try to understand what's underneath that, you can also sometimes just like disarm a situation because you can listen to hear what's really underneath that and try to address that thing that they're afraid of. They're afraid the project is going to fail. And that's why they're really pushing against that because they don't want to fail. I just, I feel like that is where the listening part of the feedback loop is such an important piece of it. And again, I think like underrated because people spend a lot of time thinking often, I think a mistake people make in a communication is thinking about what they are going to say and not thinking about what they're listening for and why am I here to listen versus what am I here to tell you? I think why am I here to listen? Yeah. That's such a good, that's a really good touchstone to be aware of. One of the things that you said that struck me, you said being a good communicator requires preparation. And as you know, Breakline, one of the communities that we serve are veterans. And one of my favorite veterans, he's a former Navy SEAL. And he said, people always think that SEALs walk in there and dazzle. And he's like, it's never like that. It's like you walk in and fall back on your preparation. Yeah. And so just the idea that you should be able to always speak extemporaneously and make the perfect point. 
I really loved your perspective. Like mm-hmm. actually take the time to be clear yeah. about what you're trying to convey. Invest yeah. that time because it's so important. Yes. I mean, and I just have learned that so, so much. I've been lucky to have some great coaches also to help me prepare. So I'll give an example. Like we do a big company all hands every year where, you know, it's like the whole company is like 500 people. Everybody wants to hear what you're going to say. And it literally starts out with a written script, like everything that we're trying to communicate. And then it has to go from that to something that is like memorized, rehearsed, like literally like a hundred times and practice so that it can come off as very natural and extemporaneously and without notes and feeling natural. But the process to get to that point mm-hmm. of feeling like you're comfortable, like walking around a, you know, a room with 500 people and feeling very relaxed took, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and a lot of feedback. And then after like that kind of event, when people come up to me like, oh, you're so natural, like you're such a good speaker. And I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea how much work went into this. Like you have no idea. A lot, a lot. So I think I truly believe anyone can be an amazing communicator. It really just requires practice. And hopefully, and maybe, you know, some coaching along the way too, but I am a big believer of like putting in the work. Totally. And to your point, being really aware of who your either your counterpart or your audience is so that you can think deeply and be empathetic about, you know, their needs and their expectations as well. In terms of storytelling, I really love the way you tell the story of Checker. And as we were talking about before, there's so many different narratives that you all could have chosen for explaining what you're building and why it's so valuable. The one that you've landed on really resonates with me and with our team at Breakline. And I'd love for you to just share more about what you all are building and why it's so meaningful for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll take you back to, you know, our CEO who was an engineer at a delivery company And his job was to create an onboarding process for the new drivers that they were hiring. So they wanted to be super seamless and fast and you could sign up on your phone. And he was coding the process and he got to the background check part of the process. And at the time, it was literally like, in order to run a background check, you had to like put down your computer, go over to the fax machine, like start passing paper around. It was like really really manual. And he saw like, huh, there's like a really interesting technical problem here I can solve as an engineer. Like, I think I want to go do that. And he started, he and his co-founder, Jonathan, started Checker. And it was pretty early on at the company. You know, there was probably a handful of people working at the company. We'd started getting customers and he was taking support calls from people that wanted to drive for Uber because a small company, like that's what CEOs do. Like they take calls because there's no one else to take them. And he was talking to an Uber driver who told him, or a potential Uber driver, like, you don't understand if I don't get this job, my family is going to be homeless. Like, I really need this job. And this person had a criminal record. And Daniel, I think at that moment, realized that we as a company, by making background checks 
fast and high quality and more fair. Like we had a place to play in this giant gig economy that was growing so fast and creating like so many like internet millionaires. Like we had a place there to open up opportunity for the one in three adults in the U.S. that have a criminal record. And it's just like, it's an astounding barrier to employment for so many people in this country. And that has become really the mission of the company and has united like so many of our employees and team just around this whole idea that we can create more fairness in hiring and in employment. And we can create opportunity for people to get jobs that might not otherwise had access to employment. So that was a lot of the checker, like how we got started. Yes. And I love it. I love that story so much. And one of the things that I think it's so important to tell it is that it's an example of a business creating universal wins, right? Like you're doing background checks so that your partners can hire effectively at scale. And so they win when you do that well, but also background checks for the social impact purpose of helping folks who have a tremendous amount of friction finding a job and getting hired and you enable them to get hired and then checker wins too. You know, when all of those stakeholders succeed, checker succeeds. Breakline has a very similar model in some respects. And I think one of the most important pieces of it is just thinking about business as a really primary vehicle for driving social impact. And when you joined Checker, it was so early, it was six years ago, that you all hadn't even solidified the social impact that you're driving as like a key part of the company, but it's become central since then. Can you talk about your personal experience, like first viewing Checker just as like a for-profit business And then this transition into, wow, we can really change lives. We can really address a massive social problem in the U.S. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it was, you know, fairly early days at Checker, and we are talking about our mission of creating a fair future. And we've decided as a company, it's really important for us to live our values and to do fair chance hiring ourselves. And we've had a goal every year to hire at least 5% of our team, fair chance. And that was, you know, that's an amazing place to have a company like really putting their money where their mouth is with their purpose. For me personally, my role at Checker was I was leading operations, which includes roles like customer support and quality review, and often includes a lot of roles that folks that have just either earlier in their career, less job experience, less work experience, they're easy entry points. So it was natural that on my team, we would do more fair chance hiring. And I will not forget like the very first time that we hired someone that had been incarcerated for many years. This was his first job coming out of being incarcerated. And he had something in his background that like was pretty serious and had prevented him from getting any other employment. And it was my job to talk to him to understand more about his past and to try to assess like, you know, is this going to be okay for his employment at Checker? 
And I was really nervous. And he was also really nervous. Like we were both really nervous because we had never had a conversation. We didn't know each other. And I had never had to ask someone point blank about, you know, something serious that had led to incarceration. And, you know, he was really honest with me and I was honest with him. And I could see that he was ready to be employed at Checker and that we wanted to offer him a job. And he has been one of our best employees. It has really just been incredible to see his career here. He started out as one of our frontline agents. He was promoted up into that role. He's been promoted out now to other teams that are more technical and require greater levels of skills. And it's just been incredible to see his personal growth. And I think, yeah, that for me was like, wow, I just saw like that my decision at that moment has affected his whole life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's very, very meaningful. When we talk to our customers or others about how to consider fair chance hiring for themselves, you know, we talk about considering like an easy way to remember is this nature time nature sort of heuristic, which is considering the nature of the role. Like, is the record really relevant to what they're going to be? Is it going to have any impact of what they're doing? So for example, like, do they have a driving issue and they have a DUI, but they're going to be working a desk job? Does it matter? You're not hiring them to do deliveries. Like what is the nature of the job? How long has it been since they committed the crime? In some states, you know, records are reportable forever. Like you could have something in your background that was 20 years ago, still affecting your employment. So really like, has it been enough? Like, when did this thing happen? Was it last month or was it, you know, 10 years ago? And then also then just like, what is the nature of the record? What is the nature of what happened? Again, like, does it really matter? So those things together, I think, help us provide a framework for us when we're evaluating our own hiring. But I will say that we have hired people with all kinds of things that have happened in their past. We have never had to let someone go for any of those reasons. Occasionally, there are things with performance related to the job, but we have never come back to say like, oh, we shouldn't have hired that person because of mm -hmm. something that was in their background. It just has never come up. So for us as a company, it's been extremely successful program. Well, I find this so inspiring for obvious reasons, but it also feels very much to me like you all have arrived at the same insight, which is the United States is brimming with talent. There are so many phenomenally talented people in this country. We just have to adjust our aperture about what excellence looks like, what potential looks like. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you all have done with Fair Chance Hiring. And you mentioned Fair Chance Hiring, but you didn't actually explain what that means. Yeah. Can you give us the yeah. definition? Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, we define it as a something in your background, a criminal record that is preventing you from getting employment. And that is a fairly broad definition. It doesn't mean there's many things that impact people's ability to get employment. Like say like they didn't have a criminal record, but maybe someone in their family did and that they've been impacted by our justice system. That can also impact your ability to you know, get employment. But we think particularly about did the individual, you know, commit a crime that is preventing them from getting employed in other respects. 
So in our background check parlance, it would be something that would be, it would kind of create a flag on the background check um, Mm -hmm. for further review. Mm -hmm. And you have written about fair chance hiring and sort of given a framework for how to institute it, like things that employers and hiring managers and recruiters can actually do as part Mm -hmm. of an interview process. Will you share some of those steps that you would really encourage people to take in support of fair chance hiring? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of the things that that we've done in support of fair chance hiring, there are also things that are also in support of other diversity hiring. So it is things, for example, like not requiring a college degree if you really do not require a college degree on the like people copy and paste a job description and include the college degree like take that out you often don't need it for many jobs and that prevents people from applying for jobs that maybe they even would have been considered for so that is something that is really important part of our process the other part of our hiring process is that we require our managers to interview at least two candidates that we would describe as diverse candidates. So it could be fair chance, underrepresented groups, could be a veteran, et cetera. We do not make a requirement on hiring, but we tell managers for every single role, you have to interview at least two people from this population and fairly assess them for the job before you make an offer. So it's basically, and in order to meet those requirements, it often means that we are looking in places where we're going to find women where we're going to find underrepresented groups because we want to have enough of those in our pool of people applying for a job to consider it. So that is another way we do it. And then I would say that the third is just we measure ourselves and we report out to our leadership team, to our company of like, how are we doing against our goals for hiring? And it helps build accountability and just like adherence to the process. Like everybody wants, I think like in their hearts, like most people want to do, you know, good but they feel pressure from the business, from this. They feel they want to go fast. And so this just helps to provide a counterbalance to that pressure. Mm-hmm. And you've yeah. talked about building a diverse business is very synonymous with building a high-performing business. And in some of your writing, you've included research and analyses from McKinsey yeah. and Northwestern and other yeah. sources that really prove and provide evidence that diverse yeah. teams win. And there's tons and tons of information out there and research out there in support of that argument. But you've also, in the context of the Great Resignation, and we're having this conversation yeah. in March of 2022, the Great Resignation is upon us. People are on the move. Millions of Americans have resigned from their jobs in the last year. And you said that organizations that create a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment encourage current workers to stay. Like you've said that this is actually on par with or even more important than stuff like pay increases and expansion of benefits, that really feeling like you're part of a community where you feel seen valued, heard, and understood, that that's actually what enables people to stay and what compels them to stay. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. And I'll expand that even further, which is I think that people in their jobs, like they want to feel seen, they want to feel heard, they want to feel safe, and they want to feel a sense of purpose. And that is where I think at Checker, like we're just lucky that we have such a strong sense of purpose 
that if we can create the right environment, all those other pieces of like, you know, people feel like they can, you know, bring their whole selves to work and they can be heard and they can make an impact on the world. Like truly, I think that is what really keeps people at Checker. And I will give a, a, like a specific example of like an amazing project that we had some Checkers work on like nights and weekends that turned into like a whole product that now we're really investing in, which is tied to our mission. So we have many like employee resource groups, as many companies do, just like communities coming together under, you know, different umbrellas of people. But we have a veterans group, women, and we have a group that we call Bounce Back to Work, which is our group that focuses on our mission and fair chance internally at Checker and then also externally. And we had a team of engineers and product managers decide that one of the barriers to employment is that people who have records on their background check don't always know that those records could be expunged from their background. Mm. Going through a legal process, it requires a lawyer, it requires some money, and it requires knowing that it's possible. There's like barriers to getting it done. And they decided that they wanted to build a way for people to learn about and get records easily expunged off of their criminal record, basically. Again, like nights and weekends, they built an expungements product that connects candidates through Checker with an external law firm. They have raised money from our company and outside companies now have come and said, like, we love that service. We want to give you money to go build that. We were getting grants from foundations that wanted to support this work. And we were like, wait a minute, can we even accept that? We're not a nonprofit. Like, how do we even take that money to go towards this expansion service? But it was something that like our employees felt really passionate about. They went and built it. They found the partnerships. They launched it. And now Checker, like we decided to launch this nonprofit entity, Checker.org, to help us carry work like that out into the world even further. And I just think it's like such a perfect example of something that was like, our team just was like, hey, we see this as an exciting thing. Like, this is not on the checker business roadmap to go, you know, build this expansion service, but, you know, let's go do it. And I think that, yeah, it's just truly, I, that's why I feel very lucky to be here. It's just a really amazing company. The only thing I disagree with, with what you just said is you said we're lucky to have a strong sense of purpose. I think you've been really yeah. proactive and intentional about yes, that. I think you made your It's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. I know we're coming up on time. I had one more question. Checker in September raised $250 million and you know, you all are in on a tear and growing really fast. As we close, I'd love for you to just share a little bit more with our listeners where you all are headed. You know, what is so exciting to you at this moment in time for Checker? You all have come such a long way in the last six years. What do the next couple of years look like for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots of exciting things. I think, you know, one is we're going international. That's a really big push for us. We've been very focused on the U.S., but international, there's so many different opportunities. Like, well, one, you know, fair chance is fair chance all over the world. There's like so many opportunities for our mission to be extended. And it turns out background checks are really complicated, even outside the US, like every single country is different. So that is a really exciting push. Our customers want us to go international with them as they expand there. So that's a big push for us. And we're also looking at where else in the whole like hiring process 
we can bring more expanded services to our customers. So right now we're kind of operating in this like one kind of slice of the puzzle, but we think there's opportunities to go broader into other parts of the pre-hire process, as well as things that happen after. So we're pretty big in sort of like the HR tech space and excited to go broader in that direction. And then I will say the third dimension that is really exciting and very early on is like ways that we can help the worker in the new work environment to bring more services to that worker. So especially thinking about workers that are at gig companies like Uber and Lyft and and all of these like new kinds of companies, like they're working in a very different way from what 20 years ago would be considered traditional employment. And they face a very different set of challenges than those workers. Even something like, how do I get a mortgage? Like, how do I show employment across all of these different employers now can be complicated. So anyway, so we think there could be some opportunity in specifically that kind of candidate-focused space that we haven't spent as much time building for yet. Linda Schaefer from Checker, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your thoughts around leadership and your journey and the story of Checker and the folks that you serve. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Thanks so much, Bethany, and for all your listeners at Breakline. you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. 